Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legacy Cafe podcast with your host, Rob Lucy. Rob is the author of the book, How Will You Be Remembered? A Guide for Creating and Enjoying Your Legacies Now. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and find yourself a seat in the Legacy Cafe. Here's Rob. Thanks, Kathy. Hi, everyone. I'm Rob Lucy, and uh, welcome to the Legacy Cafe. And today we're going to talk about philanthropy. Ooh, what's it take? Is it always about money, and or has philanthropy changed? And philanthropists have to be relatively well off, or families have to be well off. And I'd also be—I'm curious to know how philanthropy kind of morphs into legacy, or legacy into philanthropy. Well, the man who knows all of the answers to these questions is John Warnock. He's the founder of the Purposeful Planning Institute, and it's a center for professionals like financial advisors and estate planning attorneys and a variety of professionals who, according to the webpage, are dedicated to creating a revolution that transforms the way estate planning is done. John, hi. Good afternoon, Rob. Thank you. Nice for you. To, glad you came in here. Now, before we get going, I want to give a little quote by one of my best buddies. He's an old Greek guy named Aristotle. And here's what he said to me the other day. To give away money is an easy matter and in any man's power, but to decide to whom to give it, and how large, and when, and for what purpose, and how, is neither in every man's power, nor an easy matter. Those Greek guys, John, were pretty smart. Yeah, yeah. and things haven't changed much, have they, in no, no. two millennia? Fact, the word philanthropy comes from philanthropia, which in Greek was love for our fellow human beings. But let me fly the helicopter up high. What is philanthropy? You know, I actually um, dislike the term philanthropy because it's so laden with um, the heaviness of wealth. And I prefer, actually, Rob, to try to emphasize the word generosity. But Philanthropy is multi-splendored. It comes in all sorts of sizes, shapes, and flavors. It is um, as easy as time and energy through service. Are you saying that you don't have to be rich to be a philanthropist then? I I really think that that's one of the biggest myths um, that's out there, and I think it gets in the way. Most of us are extremely generous with the money we don't have. We dream of all the ways in which we'd make the world a better place if we only had millions or billions like Buffett or Gates. But in reality, um, more and more people are discovering uh, that they can be philanthropists or generous givers uh, without necessarily having to have seven digits in their, their financial statement. I think, for instance, uh, the, the movement around giving circles. These are becoming increasingly popular among women and millennials. It's a way to have fun, having a larger impact than I can have as an individual by associating, pooling my charitable capital with others so we do have a larger impact. And um, we can have fun doing it. We can learn from each other, and we can draw more people to our giving circles. So there are giving circles exploding throughout uh, North America. 
give me an example of one. I've heard of them. I've never been involved in one, but what quickly is a giving I, I circle? Became, I first became aware of giving circles uh, when I was attending a meeting in Chicago, and a woman from Cincinnati had come to speak about this trend, and she had been involved. She had gotten together with a couple of other women and said, what if we, and I believe they started out saying, what if we each gave $100? And they formed this giving circle, and pretty soon they had a hundred women giving, say, a hundred dollars. So that was ten thousand dollars that they would give away. And they all they researched, they studied where needs were, and they would each year um, figure out what impact they wanted to have with their pooled capital. I think eventually. They they each got so excited about this that they found ways that increased the average size of the gift to closer to five hundred or a thousand dollars. So technology and the power of giving circles is really increasing um, the scope, the breadth of how many of us can be generous givers and philanthropists. Really, how do legacy and philanthropy relate? And as you know. The, the definition of legacy in my book is it, it connects you to people, it enhances our lives, and it makes you happy because you're using your skills and your talents to, to benefit others, and it can continue. You can enjoy that legacy for 40 years. How does philanthropy fit into legacy then? I really love that definition, Rob. Have you ever heard of Osceola McCarty? No, I haven't. She's the washerwoman from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Had no children and went one day to meet with a banker because she was thinking about what she wanted to do with her savings. And she had spent all of her life up until this point just diligently serving people in the community by washing clothes, doing laundry, and she saved. She's very frugal and she saved. And he put 10 dimes in front of her and said, Osceola, if I gave you 10 dimes, what would you want to do? He said, well, I'd like to give this to my brothers and sisters and one dime for my nieces and nephews. And as I recall, he said, what, what would you do with the eight other dimes? And she said, well, I would like them to help kids like me who um, couldn't get an education but wanted to get an education. But if there was a way that my money could help kids get scholarships and go to college. That's what I'd like to do with the other eight dimes. The amazing thing about her story is that her generosity, word of it spread. She was invited to come to the White House. She got to speak at the United Nations, all because she wanted to give back in some way to help others. And it changed the last five or ten years of her life. It, it really did connect her to those people. And she got to go up on the, the university campus for the first time and see the good that was being done through the scholarships that she had helped create. So um, that's just a, a small example of somebody, a very humble background, who had a very generous heart, who has created, created a wonderful living legacy that is enduring today and something like 1.5 million dollars has poured into that scholarship fund almost a thousand donors have been touched by her generosity 
and have given to that scholarship fund. Hmm. As I read this a little earlier, you're creating a revolution that transforms the way estate planning is done, and the clients you have and the professionals you deal with, you're kind of changing the way they think and the way they operate. So tell me, what, what, what what's that process and what's the goal? Well, I think it, you have to, to appreciate where we're going with this purposeful planning movement, Rob. You've got to understand how traditional estate plans and financial plans are put together today. Almost always, those plans are imposed on the client. They're told, this is what you should do. This is what people in your circumstances do. This is the wise way to plan your estate or to create a financial plan. And this is the prudent way to do it. That misses this opportunity to connect with the most heartfelt hopes and dreams that this individual has. And so we believe that you need to start with the individual's whys and their values. You need to understand their story. You need to understand why they want to create a legacy, why they want to be generous. And as you get to those stories, I believe that there's a powerful way to unleash generosity by bringing those stories out. We have an exercise which I'd be very happy to share with any of the listeners that we call the Angels and Heroes exercise. And it's a way in which we take a a piece of paper and put a horizontal line across it and then draw vertical lines to segment that into decades of my life. And then each side side of each decade... I write down the angels or the heroes that have influenced or inspired me. So an angel is someone whose kindness, whose love has sustained me as I've been growing up, facing difficult times, personal loss or tragedy. And a hero is one who inspired me to aim higher, to strive to be my best and helped illuminate my path to success. This exercise takes somewhere between a half hour, 45 minutes, but it's one of the most satisfying things that I've ever done. And as I did it and reflected on those individuals and then someone helped me capture the stories associated with those individuals, I just felt a huge desire to pay back the kindnesses and the inspiration that I had derived from these others. It it inspired me to want to be not only more generous, but to live a better life. So there are exercises like this that we should make a habit of doing at least annually, if not more often, because I think they will replenish our desire to be generous, to be philanthropic, and to live a legacy. As they do that exercise, I, I, I bet your experience is there's a whole bunch of wisdom and stories and values and virtues and life lessons that come out of it and I bet a whole bunch of emotion too and once they tap into that emotion does that give them a clearer road to say no here's where I want to go absolutely in fact there's been research conducted you know when people go in for an estate planning interview um, all we talk about is death dying you know people have virtually zero interest in doing that. And there is a psychological phenomenon that's called mortality salience. The research shows that when we're asked to contemplate our own death, we really can't think very clearly. We don't think as well. But 
When we do a values priming exercise, like the Angels and Heroes timeline that I just suggested, the research that has been done shows that we can make much better decisions with regard, for instance, the research was done with regard to healthcare proxies. And the decisions made by the group that did a values priming exercise for 15 minutes before they were asked these questions about what they wanted to do with end-of-life, quality-of-life decisions, they made much better decisions than the people that don't. So there is a real empirical um, evidence standing behind our common belief that this is good. It, it's not only good, but it leads to better results in the planning process. If, as you make people much more aware of their, uh, say, their wisdom and their values, etc., and what's really important to them, let's say they're a boomer. But what about the other generations, the greatest generation above me? I'm a boomer in my mid-60s, then the boomers, then the Gen X, then the millennials. Do, do, does each generation think differently about philanthropy, or do we all come to it finally when we get a little bit older and wiser? I do think that there are generational differences just in terms of the silent generation or the greatest generation very reluctant to talk about themselves. That's why for us the easiest way to capture their voice, vision, and values is to get them talking about those angels and heroes, for instance, that have influenced them and through those stories you know, pictures will emerge not only of those who influenced and inspired them, but of their values as well. The millennials are much more interested in results. And so crowdfunding platforms, for instance, may have little appeal to a member of the silent generation, but could be a huge way to turn on millennials. And so these giving circles and the other technological platforms that have been created uh, around philanthropy for millennials and Gen Xers are, are very, very effective. So yes, you do need to know the generation that you're talking to, and above all else, you need to be a wise listener, and you need to ask great, inspiring questions that will lead to action and lead to great uh, reflection about what they want to do. What was going on in your life to say you've got to build this institute? Well, there were several things that came together in a remarkably short period of time over about an 18-month period that were the contributing influences. But the one event that stuck with me and led to my asking, why is this happening? Why isn't there a better way for us to do this is the precipitating event, and that was when I got a call on a Tuesday. It was after a federal holiday here in the U.S., and so the banks and most businesses had been closed on that Monday, and Tuesday morning, my secretary jingled me and said, Miranda is on the phone, and man, she is hot. And she, she said, I think you should give me permission to tell her to cool off and call us back when she can talk civilly. And I said, oh, Barbara, you don't need to do that. I can take this call. And I picked the phone up and I said, hello, Miranda. And before I could get the Miranda out, 
I heard this expletive deleted, followed by, I want you to fire that blippity blip trustee. And I said, Miranda, I get that something terribly wrong has happened with your trust. What is it? And she said, it's my check. It's my blippity blip check. And I said, what about your check? And she says, it's not here. And I said, well, when does your check normally come? And she says, I always get it on the second or third of the month. And I said, well, okay, the first was Saturday. If you get it on the second or the third, that means the bank probably puts it in the mail on the first, and then you get it a day or two days later. So the first was Saturday. Yesterday was a holiday. They're putting it in the mail today. You'll have it tomorrow or Thursday. And I thought I had just solved the problem. And she said, that's not my blippity-blip problem. That's their problem. They should have known I needed that check. And what then, and amongst a lot of tears and sobs, came out was that she had gone gambling that holiday weekend in the casinos and had spent, in a sense, that trust check, had written checks that were going to bounce if she didn't cover those checks with her trust distribution. And that was the moment, Rob, when I said to myself, this is so far removed from what her grandparents had intended with this trust. They had wanted it to encourage her to get an education. She had dropped out of college as soon as she turned 21 and started to receive these monthly distributions. She was so dependent. She was just kind of floating, lost in life. And that's, I scratched my head and I said, there's got to be a better way. And once I did that, you know, another great Greek bit of wisdom is when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. For me, it was teachers. But about every six months for the next 10 years, new teachers came into my life. And at the end of that period of time, I realized I want to have a positive influence. I want to give back everything that I've learned in the last 10 years. How can I do that? And that's when the idea burst into my consciousness of creating a virtual community for advisors, consultants, and who could come together in an easy way, and I could bring a great thought leader or innovator who would show us new ways in which the planning paradigms were being broken and replaced by new paradigms that were client-centric and better served our clients. That's, that's the story behind how the Purposeful Planning Institute came to be. Is there anything you might be able to deliver to our listeners to help them get started? Absolutely. I'd love to have people think about the angels and heroes exercise. I think it's a wonderful exercise, and if listeners would just do it themselves and see the satisfaction and experience what it leads them to. So that's something I'm happy to give away. We also have a why a plan, why this plan exercise and a why a trust, why this trust exercise that for the advisors and consultants that might be listening, very happy to give those exercises away. A practical, wonderful, life-changing takeaway from John Warnick of the Personal Planning Institute. Thank you for being here with us. Um, kind of mind-spinning a little bit. 
and um, I look forward to doing the Heroes and Angels. Is that correct? Angels and Heroes. Angels and Heroes. I thought I had it backwards. I look forward to doing it. Thanks again for sending that. This would be, by the way, the present from John, and you could find it at LegacyCafe.org forward slash PPI. LegacyCafe.org forward slash PPI. Thank you to John Warnick. A wonderful chat. Thank you. And thanks for being here. I'm Rob Lucy. Look forward to seeing you again at the Legacy Cafe. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Cafe podcast. We have lots of great conversations coming your way. And by the way, if you want us to send you reminders that a new podcast is ready for you, go to LegacyCafe.org to subscribe. That's LegacyCafe.org. Have a great day. And remember, the coffee and conversations are always hot at the Legacy Cafe. Legacy Cafe.